0: But let me ask you, what's one of the best things you can do when facing trials and temptations? Think about it like this. When when the pressure mounts and spiritual and physical attacks increase, what's one of your best resources? Well, let's learn from Jesus by seeing what he did on his final night on the earth, The night when all hell broke loose on our Savior. Turn to Mark chapter 14, would you? Let's put a finger on verse 32 and follow along with me as I read. And what you'll see emerge today is this big idea. That prayer is the especially necessary posture during trials and temptations. That's our big idea today. That's what we're going to see emerge from the scriptures. We're going to be looking at it. That prayer is the especially necessary posture during trials and temptations because it keeps us centered on God's will and not our own. So Mark 14, I'll begin in verse 32. Follow with me, would you? And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And maybe you're wondering what that place looked like. Here's a picture of the garden currently, you can delete some of the modern aspects, some of the roads and maybe some of the architecture that may be there, but it would have had the same general feel, somewhat um, dirt-like, small trees, wide, so you'd have had some of this same feel. I'll be there again in November, hope some of you are joining me, we'll go right to this place. This is the type of place he was at, the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that while he was there, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. The word pray is simple. It means to entreat, to beseech, to converse, uh, to talk with, to adore. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go and communicate with my father. You sit here. And so he took with him three, a little closer, Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Notice that he began to be this. So prior to this moment, he wasn't, but as he entered into this this moment of prayer, as he entered into this hour of his trial in which he positions himself in prayer, he is beginning to experience great distress and trouble. The word distress just simply means amazement, shock. You could use the word surprise, The word troubled means to be horrified. So something's happening internally to Jesus on an emotional level. Like, I can't believe what's about to come to to pass. Now, he knew what was coming to pass, but he's experiencing this as a 100% human, as a man. And so he's feeling the weight of this, the shock of it, the amazement, the, the horror of what's ahead. In fact, he says to his disciples, Verse 34, my soul is very sorrowful. Notice the adverbs here, greatly distressed, very sorrowful. The word means to be surrounded by grief. You could say 360 sadness. This is our Savior in this incredibly trying hour. And he says, I want you to remain here and watch with me. The word means to stay alert. It's synonymous in one sense with pray, but here it has a specific meaning of being awake. So that they could pray. Don't fall asleep. Stay alert. Be watchful. Be on guard so that you can pray. This is his command to them. And then he goes a little further. Verse 35 says, and he falls on the ground and he prays. So notice it started off with 12, then it went to four. Now it's one person alone. He's praying. And he's praying that if it's possible, the hour, in other words, What he's entering into and what is to come, this hour of trial, betrayal, crucifixion, separation, that it could pass from him. So verse 35 is a statement of his prayer. Verse 36 is now his prayer quoted. Notice Mark states it. Now Mark quotes it. Verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I love the way he prays, Lord, I know you can, but my question is, will you? It's in your ability, but is it in your will? That's a good prayer, isn't it? After praying this the first time, verse 37 says, he came and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? It's probably a rhetorical question. He probably was, and that's why he asked the question, right? Right? Incidentally, you'll notice that he calls him Simon here. Here's an interesting note that you'll you'll find in the Gospels. Jesus, once he changed Simon's name to Peter, he doesn't call him Simon unless he's trying to bring Peter's attention back to his old ways. Just track it. He always calls him Peter once he changes his name, except in moments when he's trying to say, Peter, you're acting like the old guy, Simon. Simon. Here he says, Simon. In other words, this is not what I'm expecting or what I know is really you. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He knows what's ahead for them as well, right? He says the spirit indeed is willing, which is actually a compliment to them. Like, guys, I know you want to pray and watch, but the flesh is weak, and to all that, We say what? Amen. I mean, I find it hard to stay awake to converse with my wife once it gets past about 9.30 or 10, okay? She's like, can you not stay awake and chat? I'm like, oh, I want to, but man, my eyes are heavy, right? Here they're well past that time frame. They're sleepy, they're tired. And so Jesus, in one sense, uh, you know, kind of uh, corrects them, yes, but he also commends them. Like, I know that's not really what's going on in your heart, but man, the flesh is powerful, He goes away a second time, verse 39 says, and he prays, and he says the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? I find this interesting, just as a side note. Before Peter denies the Lord three times, he also finds it hard to pray on three occasions. This may be a preview of of just his own frailty, even before he displays it. Kind of interesting. Well, the Lord says, it's enough. In other words, it's now time. And so he says, the hour has come. Remember, he was praying the hour would pass. But in these hours of prayer, it was not God's will. He submitted to God's plan. The hour has now come. And he says, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want you to see four things from this text um, that were accomplished in Christ's life on this night because of prayer. First of all, prayer positioned Jesus in relational dependence. Prayer positioned Jesus in relational dependence. I draw that from mainly one big word in verse 36. It's the word Abba. It's the word for Papa. It's an intimate word. And here Christ uses it along with the word Father. And it shows he's he's, he's bringing his his incredible amount of distress and trouble and sorrow to the only one who really understands. I mean, he can't get his disciples to pray with him. (laughs) but he knows God is there, his Father's there, his Father will listen. So what we find in this text is that Christ, at his most trying hour, in his most difficult moments, took a posture of prayer as a way to show his relational dependence, and he verbally expressed that as well. And you may wonder, what was so difficult that it would cause him to be to the point of death even before he got to the point of death. Well, I don't personally think it was just the anticipation of physical crucifixion. I think that's part of it because he was 100% man, correct? So the thought of that had to weigh on him, the torture. But I think what's happening here because these words all mean internal, emotional trouble and distress, I think the thought that he would would ultimately, for a brief time, be separated from his Father, brought him the greatest amount of personal anguish. Here's why. Up until the hour on the cross, 12 noon, when God, in some fashion, we'll see this in a few weeks, when God, according to Christ's words, forsakes him so that he is the sin offering for all of us. Up until that point, Jesus had only known perfect, Fellowship. You realize that, don't you? I mean, I mean um, there's there's not a problem in the relationship between the Son and the Father. It's not like a marriage where you have a good marriage and you have your days. There are no days with the Trinity. It's perfect fellowship, twenty four seven. And for the first time, he's anticipating a break in that for our sakes. And this causes, I believe, the deepest amount of stress for our Lord. Which is why this this text shows an interesting um, set of things. Uh, It shows really perfect relationship. And then he goes to his father, he calls him Abba. At his most trying time, he knows that this relationship is, is his lifeline. And yet, in the very same scenario, we see that there's going to be horrific separation. Christ is aware of both of these. And I think it brings his soul, his his mind, his heart to, to great anguish. But he knows that his father is his lifeline. And I would submit to you that the same is true for us today. Our greatest position of dependence is when we're on our knees. When we're with our heavenly father. Who cares for us? Would Peter say this later? Cast all your cares upon him because he what? He cares for you. So I see, first of all, here that prayer positioned Jesus in relational dependence. That's what prayer does. A second thing I notice here is that prayer prioritized his competing perspectives. Now, this is perhaps some of the hardest words in the entire New Testament to understand. It's in verses 35 and 36. His prayer that, would you remove this cup from me? I know it's possible. Yet not what I will, what you will. Those are difficult words and phrases to get our hands around theologically, practically. Let me suggest that what's happening here is probably one of the clearest pictures in the New Testament of when Christ's humanity and his divinity are intersecting. Now, we know they were always coexisting together in one person. The big word for that, the hypostatic union. You can just kind of learn that word and sound real smart one day, right? It's two natures in one flesh. But often in Scripture, you you, you try to find places where, where do we see this happening? Here's probably one of the clearest. And when Jesus, in all of his 100% humanness, is like, is there any other way to get this done? And yet in his 100% divinity, he's saying, not my will, but God's. And I like the way that in his final hours, Jesus chose to take the posture of a bent knee to make sure the human will was submissive to the divine will. Can we just here admit, he sets the table for us in the best way, doesn't he? Because our best posture when we're tempted under great trial is the bent knee as well. You see, in trials, let me remind you, we are often prone. We're often prone to divert, detour, demand. All those things take us away from, from what God intends. What he would like to do us to do is to submit. Remember James 1? When we're facing trials, sometimes the tendency is to blame God. And James says, don't blame God, ask for wisdom from God. So the posture to take is one of submission. And prayer really kind of models that well. So yes, prayer positioned Christ in relational dependence and it does the same for us. It positions us in dependence. Prayer prioritized his competing perspectives and it will do that for us. It will prioritize our competing perspectives. The third thing I notice here is that prayer protected him in spiritual warfare. Now, notice something here quite intriguing. He asked the disciples to watch and pray, correct? So that they would not enter into temptation. It appears they did not do that, not only from this text, but just in a few hours, they actually desert him and fall away, don't they? They do fall into temptation, But it's apparent that he is watching and praying. In fact, he's the only one awake enough to do that in this text. And then he does not go into temptation, but follows through perfectly and completely towards God's plan. So let's just state the obvious here. Prayer is a wonderful protection in the middle of spiritual warfare. Now, here's what I think is going on. When we think about prayer and our spiritual warfare, often we, we, we think about the verses in Ephesians 6. We take the word of God, we take the helmet of salvation, the the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness. But did you know that the concluding weapon in that list is actually prayer? In fact, read the list of the armor of God. You'll find Ephesians 6, 18, the word prayer is mentioned three times. Praying always with all prayer, making supplication for the saints. That's the final verse in the list of Ephesians 6. So I say this, prayer is the culminating weapon in our spiritual armor. And it's, it's indispensable when it comes to fighting against Satan. Remember what Mark 9.36 says? Jesus said this about some spiritual warfare with the disciples they were having. He says that this demonic activity they were battling, it only comes out by prayer and fasting. So do not underestimate the importance of prayer in spiritual warfare. Jesus knew it and we should as well. And lastly, I think I noticed this. Prayer empowered Jesus For physical endurance. In other words. Catch this church. Why could he say in verse 42. Let us be going. Notice that. He seems resolute. His face is is set. He seems focused. Why could he say. Looking at what was ahead. Let us be going. I think it's because in verse 32. He said let us be praying. And until we learn the, the discipline of Praying we'll probably never know the joy of persevering. You see, prayer empowers perseverance. Fellowship fuels fortitude. And perhaps the reason many of us find it so easy to give up at times is because we have very little fellowship, relationship, prayer. Now, I'm not saying that prayer acts like some kind of spiritual Red Bull, okay? It's not like some uh, mythical five-hour energy drink. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a supernatural, spiritual moment when while you're in fellowship, relationship, and prayer with the Father, he does what 2 Corinthians 4 says. When your outward man is perishing, he renews your inner man day by day. I and mean, Haven't you felt the moments in which your outer man was perishing? The trial was so great, the temptation so strong, you thought physically, I'm not going to hold up under this. And in those, moment, God's, those moments, God comes to you internally, spiritually, supernaturally, and carries you. Yeah, that's how prayer, that posture fuels your perseverance. That's how your fellowship fuels your fortitude. Remember, prayer is God's provision for endurance. I like to say it like this, that in God's word, we let the promises of God fall on us. But in prayer, we fall on them. And as both of those things happen, God's word falling on us and his promises, and then us falling on his promises, God energizes and, and fuels and causes us to persevere. In trial and temptation. So, four things we see here, right from this text, describing the last hours of Christ's earthly life and the posture he took in those hours, by the way, prayer. We see four things happened. It positioned him in relational dependence, it prioritized his competing perspectives, it protected him in spiritual warfare. And it empowered him for a physical endurance. And so, the big idea again is quite clear. It's very evident; it emerges naturally that prayer is the especially necessary posture during trials and temptations, because it keeps us centered on God's will, not our own. Let's do what we do most weeks. Let's read it out loud together, can we? In fact, those at home, we going to read with us today. So, in your kitchen, your living room, they're reading. Let's read here together. Here's our big idea from Mark fourteen thirty two to forty two. Prayer is the especially necessary posture during trials and temptations because it keeps us centered on God's will, not our own. This is, uh, as I said this morning in a tweet, ironically fitting for today. This text was selected for this date months ago. Our study group meets and we kind of plan out our series. I had no idea that on this date we'd be talking about prayer as the best posture in difficult times on the Sunday when, when the coronavirus is, is the talk of the nation. And churches and individuals and families and organizations are all deciding what's the best next step. And, and admittedly, there's probably a number of next steps and they can differ and they'll all still be good. We're choosing to meet in a smaller fashion. We'll bring some more instructions next week as to how we probably will adjust that some. Some chosen not to meet this week. There's nothing wrong or right with either one. I think we're all under this umbrella. Let's be careful, but let's also be faithful. How can we manage both of those together? I think it's very fitting, though, that in this week, we're talking about prayer because this is what we need. This is the posture we need to take in this moment in our community, in our state, in our nation, one of prayer, that we would turn to God. In fact, I don't know the... Reason every single one of you here, but as I scan the crowd and as I wonder who's listening, maybe even after the fact of this day, could it be that this very situation has caused alarm in your heart, fear in your heart? Maybe it's caused you to to question your own control of your life, which is actually a myth. Maybe it's made you wonder, yeah, what will happen when I die? All those questions, God loves to answer them. And the posture in which he relates to us is the posture of prayer. It's the posture of the submitted heart. And to anyone who's listening, anyone who's watching, anyone here in this room, perhaps you've not submitted your life to Christ. You thought you were in control. You had your plans and your will, and that's all that mattered. But this is kind of making you wonder, maybe there's another will in play. Yes, God's will is always the one that's in play. And this has made you think twice. I would just encourage you, consider your relationship with Christ. And if you've never trusted Christ as your only one who can save you, forgive you because of his death and resurrection, then bring in prayer a submissive heart to God's will that you would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Man, let him save you from that because the The end of unbelief is far worse than the end of a coronavirus Could God be using this very moment to teach us how to be dependent upon him? Prayer shows that. So I hope you will walk away today seeing the vital presence prayer must have in your life. And I make no bones about that. One of the aims of this message is that you'll see the importance of prayer and especially in times of trials and temptations. Thus the title of this message, The Fourfold Power of Prayer During Trials. I want that to be a clear objective. But before you leave, let me radically deepen your motivation for that. Let me radically escalate why this needs to happen. So follow me. Yes, Jesus prayed when he was under duress in times of severe trial and temptation. Yes, Jesus prayed. But did you also know that he prayed for his disciples as well? He didn't just pray for himself. He prayed for his disciples. Before he entered into his great hour, he actually told his disciples, I'm going to be praying for you. This is what occurred in that conversation in the Last Supper. We talked about it last week in our message. Remember, he knew all about them, yet he loved them. Well, John 13 through 17 lays out this conversation. And in John 17, verses 9 and 15, we find this wonderful phrase in which Jesus says to his disciples, he actually says this to God in his prayer, but notice the prayer. I am praying for them. you catch that? The pronoun them is because he's talking to God and he's saying, I am praying for these 11 Jesus, by this point, is gone, and he's saying, I'm praying for these. And why is he praying for them? He's saying in verse 15 that that God would keep them from the evil one. Now, Jesus, by the way, is praying, I believe here, a long-term prayer for his 11, because in the short term, every one of them actually fled. So did Jesus' prayer get answered? It did. In the same way that Christ's prayer about Peter got answered. When he said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. But didn't Peter, just in a few hours, actually fail at his faith? Didn't he deny Christ? He did. So what's going on there? Christ is saying that, Peter, you have this momentary, you'll have a momentary lapse. You'll have this quote-unquote bad day. But I want you to know my prayers for you were that you will not fail eternally. And he did not Christ's prayers and Christ's power pulled him all the way through. And Christ here is doing the same thing. He's saying, you know what? There's going to be moments of of lapses in the next few hours for you. But I'm praying for you that you'll be protected from the evil one. And they were. As Acts unfolds, there was incredible trial and severe temptation to all these 11. They all died a martyr's death. And yet in the middle of that, God protected them. He answered the prayer of Jesus. So Jesus did pray for himself, yes, but he also prayed for his disciples then. Now watch this. He also prays for his disciples now. Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, speaking of those 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hey, hey, that's you and that's me. As the word of God was written down as God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took shape. We receive it, we believe it. Here we are now mentioned as those who would believe through their word. And guess who prays for us? Jesus does. He prayed in the Last Supper for you. Specifically that there'd be unity among his body and the future disciples so that the world would believe in him. Again, you see the same kind of thread. Christ prays for his disciples so that as they're sent and as they're in the world, the world will believe that God sent Jesus. There's a sense in which he prays that will have impact, will be faithful, will be true. Now, by the way, this idea that Jesus prayed for his disciples then, he prays for us now is echoed in Romans 8, 34. Look at this verse with me. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, say it with me, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25, here's another great verse, echoing the same thought that occurred in John 17. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since, say it with me, church, he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, we could spend several messages just on what those verses mean and what Jesus is praying for us and how he's doing that. That'd be a worthy discussion and message. But let's be clear about the overarching umbrella. Jesus prays for you. Now I'm going somewhere, so hang with me. Because the point of this was, clearly, we want to have a posture of prayer in our most difficult days. This is what Jesus lived out. This was the example he set. This is what positioned him, empowered him, set his perspective. And so we will follow suit. But I'm going somewhere with this. But that your motivation cannot just be that, well... Okay, I'll jump on the treadmill, I'll raise it up a notch, and I'll just run faster and pray more. I'm showing you a deeper motivation for why we should pray. And I'm giving you a glimpse now. Because we're seeing that Jesus prayed for his disciples then, he prays for his disciples now. And by the way, not only does the Son of God pray for us, so does the Spirit of God. Romans eight twenty six and 27, look at these verses. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Catch that word, right? Because the context of the Holy Spirit's intercession is our trials, our temptations, our weaknesses. He's he's interceding for us because we don't know what to pray for as, as we ought. Now, I've been there, haven't you? You just don't have the words to communicate the depth of sorrow or pain or temptation or trial. You're speechless. But the Holy Spirit is not He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Look at the last phrase. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Church, are you catching this? Is this arresting your attention? Wow. Jesus prays for you. And the Spirit prays with you. So, listen very carefully. By all means, pray during times of trial and temptation. Jesus did. We should. It's the required posture as it affords us the right position, perspective, and the right power to prioritize God's will and not persist on our own. So, yes, pray. Pray when your knees feel weak. And you wonder if God's promises are going to hold firm. Pray. Pray when your spine stiffens towards God's authority and resisting him becomes temptingly and deceitfully attractive. Pray when your mind is confused and you're not sure which turn to take, which decision to make, or which road to travel. Pray. Pray when your heart is heavy, burdened with a thousand stressors that have Velcroed themselves to your life. Things that are out of your control and yet unbelievably controlling. Pray when your hands are already full of tasks. Yet it appears that everybody wants one more thing from you and the deadline's yesterday. Yeah, pray. At all times, my brothers and sisters, pray without ceasing. But know this. You are not the only one praying. Jesus prays for you. And the Holy Spirit prays with you. Our Trinitarian God doubles down on intercession for his sons and daughters. Amen, church. Hallelujah. And so we have the joy of entering into prayer not in a lonely fashion. Even though we're desperate, there's a duo helping us the second and third persons of the Trinity, praying for us and with us. So leave today, yes, committed to praying, but motivated instead by the joy of following the example of Jesus and praying like your life depended on it because it does. And know that you are joined in and fueled for that endeavor of prayer by the one who gave his life for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the servant of man, who is praying for you. Will you join him in his prayers? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.